And so, Father, we need you to teach us your word, this anointing that comes by your spirit. Lord, help us hold fast. Help us abide. Help us live in that place of security and safety, knowing you. Lord, we we praise you for uh, this opportunity to come before you and have your word open. And Lord, I pray that uh, nothing that's that's said or taught today is about somebody's opinion, but it really is uh, tied to what you are teaching us as we move through life together. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't think it's any coincidence that I'm up here teaching on the first day of the Major League Baseball season. So that's a big day. It's really important. And uh, you may not think today is that big a deal. And if you're a Brewers fan, they start tomorrow against Colorado. We'll all be watching with bated breath, see what happens with the Brewers. It's, uh, it's possible they start off the season negatively. It's possible they have problems. Uh, but as the season goes along, the games today, tomorrow, they count just as much as the games at the end of the year. Do you remember the end of last year? how people were clawing for the playoffs, how the Cubs, who hadn't won a World Series in 108 years, were down three games to one. They had to win three in a row. And in winning three in a row, they win the first two, they get to game seven in Cleveland, World Series. They are, they're fighting for their life. They're up. And uh, then Cleveland comes back and ties the game. So we have extra innings in game seven for only like the fourth time in World Series history. And so you remember the story, the top of the 10th, the Cubs score two. And then in the bottom of the 10th, the Indians score one and there's threatening and the high drama. And finally, the Cubs put the game away and win for the first time. I mean, it was, it was big. But here's the thing. The, the games in April mattered. And they mattered all year long. But when you then get into the playoffs and you're talking about literally three elimination games in a row the Cubs faced, every pitch, every swing of the bat, every decision by the manager. Do you remember in the World Series in game seven, it was game four and they had strong starters, or excuse me, it was the fourth inning and they had strong starters on the mound and the managers already pulling out starting pitchers and putting in like other pitchers. It it was crazy to watch how the, the managers knew that every pitch counted, okay? I say all that to tell you this. We're in the last hour, my friends. We learned this last week. The last hour is this period of history after Jesus goes and raises, is raised from the dead and ascends into heaven, and it started then, and it extends all the way until the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will come again in glory and in power. And so this whole season of time in the history of mankind is called the last hour. John is writing to his readers in April of the season. It had just started. The games mattered. He wanted them on high alert. He wanted them to understand that the games you, le- you lose in April, that, that's not a good thing, and it makes for harder work later. But we come to this point, and we're not like a basketball game where the, there's literally a clock that we are keeping our eyes on. We don't know when the last pitch will be pitched. We don't know when the game will be over. It's more like a baseball game. 
But this we know. Every pitch matters in the last hour. There's high tension. What you do and how you act and react and, and how you behave and what you think and, and what others, how others impact the way you have your head in the game is all crucial information when it comes to this last hour kind of living. And so as we continue this mindset of being last hour sort of people, uh, I want us to realize that what this passage is teaching us. We, we started this idea of last hour last week. Right, And if you need to review that, uh, I've done a little bit of that just now, but you can go back and kind of listen to that on the church website. But I encourage us to, to continue with our mindset of this being the last hour people by realizing this, that number one, in and as last hour people, we need to be bold about confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Be bold about that. We see here in verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And so John is rather aggressive. He's naming names. He's saying, uh, these people that now have gone out from the church, and let me just review with you who these people were. They were agnostic people. So they, they were in the church, and they started by hearing these truths, okay, Jesus is the Christ, and they started hearing that, and they, they uh, uh, love learning. So these Gnostic teachers, they, they were not, remember that this is about 60 years into the gospel witness there around Ephesus when we're reading this. So they don't want to stay and just say, well, what we've heard about Jesus, the Bible, the story, what we've been taught, that's enough. They're not content to stay there. They always want the next truth. They want, to, they want new information. They want new discoveries. They want new technology. They want new. And they even used a phrase uh, that they had this divine, they called it an unction. Uh, In this passage, it's translated as uh, anointing. These false teachers said that they had new information that went beyond what Jesus said and went beyond what the church said. And they were going to move to the next stage of development. They were going to evolve as people, right? And so they needed this new information, and they said they had an anointing that led them to this new information. So those are the teachers that John, in this passage, are specifically calling liars. Because they have moved out from under Jesus' teaching. They've moved out from what Jesus said about himself. Okay, And so here's some some things that maybe you want to jot down about people that have left the fellowship and they're on to new information that's better for the world, it's better, they think it's better for, for, for the culture, they think it's more evolved in the way they think about life. Note that those opposed to Jesus will often want to discuss him. Jesus is the unmistakable center of history. And so those who are, who are wanting to influence you are going to have to change, they're going to have to interact with you with regard to what you believe about Jesus. 
And so don't think that we live in a culture that eventually is going to come to the point where they're like, you know what, we're beyond this Jesus. He's irrelevant. We're not talking about him anymore. Now, the person of Jesus is absolutely the uh, center point of all of history. And people who disagree with that or people who want to mess with that and what Christians believe, they are going to bring up the discussion often. You're going to talk about Jesus for the rest of your life, whether in, in the church or outside the church, okay? Don't allow a discussion about Jesus to become an equal exchange of thoughts. It's my encouragement to you. Here's what I mean by that. Don't allow this to become this person coming back at you and saying, well, now this is what I believe about Jesus. And then you say, oh, really, let's have a discussion about that. Here's what I believe about Jesus. When you do that, you denigrate any source of authority that you have. Your source of authority is Jesus himself. So when you get in a discussion with somebody like that, it's important for you to take a step away from that. And, and again, they would say, listen, you're saying he's exclusive? Oh, you're, you're such an arrogant person. Christians are so arrogant. You say, well, wait a second. No, ho, ho, ho. This isn't right because I say it's right. And when you enter in a discussion and it's Bill and John or when it's Sue and Penny or whatever, you have this discussion and it's just this back and forth. Uh, if you just won't budge on that, you're arrogant. And by the way, if it's just your opinion and it's just right because it's your opinion, you are arrogant. So it's important that from the get-go, from the outset, in a conversation like that, we take a step away and say, no, wait a second. This isn't right because I say it's right. This isn't a discussion between you and me about who Jesus might be. This is a discussion between you and what Jesus has revealed about himself. This is a discussion about what Jesus said about himself and possibly what you disagree with about what Jesus said about himself. This is not an argument between you and me, right? So it's really important as believers, and we enter into this discussion, that we're not entering into it from this perspective of, well, this is what I believe, and, and uh, I'm just sort of randomly trying to impact you a little bit. And no, it, it's what Jesus has said about who he is. Those opposed to Jesus are going to want to discuss him, okay? Uh, don't allow an opponent's opinions about Jesus to be equal with Jesus' claims. Don't allow an opponent's opinions about Jesus to discourage you, all right? Don't let that get you down. Don't let that put you in a place where you're like, oh, no, you know what? I, what, what do I do next? Well, stay with what Jesus has revealed about himself. Here's a couple of things I jotted down about these opponents. They will deny that he is exclusive. Hey, maybe we can trust another one. Maybe all religions are equal. Maybe they, all the roads lead to the top of the mountain. And they will deny that Jesus is exclusive. And here in 1 John chapter 2, it's clear that John is helping and reminding his, his readers that Jesus is the exclusive one. They will deny that he is the promised one. We're going to look at that in just a minute. They're going to say, well, he's not the guy from the Old Testament. In fact, you know, if you have a Jewish friend, that's what their whole, their whole thing is built on. He's not the promised one. We're still waiting for the promised one. Again, the answer to that, be bold about confessing that Jesus is the Christ. They will claim that in Christ all are saved. 
This is another part of the discussion. They're going to come at you and say, you know what? Okay, I'll give it to you. Christ is the only way. But you know what? He saved everybody. He loves everyone. God so loved the whole world that everyone is saved. And they will come to this point of universalism and want to make what Jesus did uh, efficient or effective for everyone at all times, except they might have some, you know, little group of people that they exclude that are the worst of the worst, okay? So note this about those who are denying Jesus' position, that they will come at you and make these kinds of claims. Remember, Jesus loves everyone so much. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, we're reminded that these teachers are going to come at us and they are going to make confident assertions. The whole point of 1 John chapter 2 is to bring an assurance to the sheep, those of us who are easily scared. We're easily freaked out. Some sheep have left the fold and they're over there and the grass they're eating seems to be green. They seem to be okay. It seems like it's better over there. And we begin to get exercised and fearful inside and wonder if we missed the new knowledge boat. Did we miss something along the way? And so this whole passage is saying, oh, listen, go back to what you have heard from Jesus. In fact, that's the next thing we want to see here, okay? So who is the liar, but he who is denied, he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist. People who deny that Jesus is the Christ are in the spirit, they're doing the same work that the ultimate Antichrist will do. Again, not getting off track here, but at the last day, there will be one final, powerful, very powerful Antichrist. And here in this passage, he's saying there's a line of people who don't believe that Jesus is the Christ leading up to that Antichrist. They're all pretty much doing the same work. They're trying to mess with you. And they're trying to mess with uh, the gospel itself. Again, still in verse 23, still on our first point. The second part of this point, though, is no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That word confess is, is really a key word. All right? So the word means same word. So, and, and it's also in a, uh, the word is written in a tense, which means you're, you're in the present tense, you're constantly doing it. So here's what we need to do. We need to be constantly saying the same word that Jesus said about himself. And so here are a couple of things that Jesus said about himself. Luke chapter 4, verse 21, the start of Jesus' ministry. He walks into the temple. He is handed the scroll of Isaiah and opens it up and says to all of the religious people of the day who knew the Old Testament, he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, today you are seeing this prophecy from Isaiah fulfilled I am the promised one, and he sits down. Well, review that. Say that over and over again. He is the one. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 20. You remember this where John's disciples are a little confused? Remember John was the forerunner, forerunner of the promised one. He was told, you're going to pave the way so that Jesus' ministry can really take off. That was what he was all about. 
Well, at one point, John is going, okay, I, I thought I had this figured out. I was pretty sure it was Jesus, but man, I, he's not like doing what I thought he was going to do. And so he was a little confused. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. And as he sends his disciples to Jesus, his disciples come up and say, hey, Jesus, listen, John is confused a little bit here. We just want to make sure that we do not like make a big boo-boo here, all right? You're the promised one, right? And Jesus, answering that question in the complete affirmative, says, go and tell John the things that I'm doing. The blind can see. The lame can walk. The deaf can hear. And ultimately, Jesus is saying to this prophesied old, from the Old Testament, one who would prepare the way, this forerunner, yeah, I'm the one. And so in Luke chapter 7, verse 20 and 22, Jesus tells John's disciples that he is the promised one. He's the Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. Who does everybody say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're John. John had been put to death by then. They say all sorts of different things about who you are. Okay, Peter, who do you say that I am? Well, this is the exact same verse or word that we're looking at here. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. And Peter, Jesus says to Peter, okay, blessed are you, Peter, because... You didn't just put that together with your mind. You didn't just come up with that. You didn't just come to some conclusion. If you understand that I am the Christ, that is a gift from God in heaven to you to understand who I am. In essence, saying, yeah, you're right. You're right. I am the promised one. We could go to John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Note in 1 John, our passage today, 22 and 23, and later we'll see it in verse 24 too, that there is an intrinsic connection between Father and Son. If you come to the Father, you come to the, through the Son. There's no getting to the true God of heaven unless you come through his promised one, Jesus Christ. That's not arrogant. That's taking Jesus' words and believing them. And we look at all the places in the world around us that want to say, I have a version of God, but I didn't come through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we come to this passage and say, there's no way. No. I love you. I care deeply for you. But if you don't come through Jesus, you didn't get to the Father. And if you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son. John chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And probably uh, the passage that would have been most on the mind, I think, of John, uh, other than the fact that he wrote John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but also Matthew 26, 63 through 65, where at his very trial, he is put on the stand, and Caiaphas, the high priest, says, okay, tell us, are you the Christ? And Jesus says, it is as you said. You said, you said it already. He says, yeah, what you said. I am the Christ. And Caiaphas says, at that point, we have no need to hear anything else. And he starts tearing his clothes and saying, he's a blasphemer. Right? And so Jesus 
testified to his own deity and to the fact that he himself is the promised one. God, you should too. That should be the norm, the normal thing of your life. You should review it in your scripture passages, in your time alone with the Lord. You should be thinking through this. Only Jesus, he is the unique son of God. He is the one that all of the Old Testament pointed to. He fulfilled all of those prophecies and Jesus is the Christ. There is no other way to the Father except through him. So boldly confess that Jesus is the Christ. Secondly, as we continue on, this is a, with this last hour per perspective and, and, and mindset, be unshaken in your commitment to the authority of the word of God. Again, those that have gone out from us ultimately want to shake your confidence in Jesus' testimony and they want to shake your confidence in the word of God. And, and God wants you to know that the word that he has given you and the word that he has sustained for you, he's preserved it from generation to generation, this is to be trusted as his word to you. Look at verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Okay, so there's, a, there's an imperative. There's this command here. Let this abide in you. That is a command. All right, so he is teaching you that this is something that's required of those that are following after Jesus. All right, let it abide in you. That word abide, it means to, to live in you, to constantly Remain. Think about your house. In your house, if your house is unsafe, you fix whatever is necessary so that your house can be safe, so that you can, you can remain there, you can be safe there, you can have confidence, relatively speaking, that there is safety in that place. You fix stuff that doesn't work, right? And so the concept of making your home in the word and the message that you have heard from the beginning. And so you take your residence there and without fear, live there day after day. Again, those that have gone out, they're going to come back. These deniers, they want to have the discussion with you. They want to try to convince you. And so this, this uh, here's a reminder of a couple things. This message is old. It's an old message. You, you Christians, really? You still are hung up on this identity of this guy that lived 2,000 years ago? You still, you trust a Bible that is that old, really? Is that what you're going to be about? You, you believe that God still, you know, has, has sustained and, and preserved his word to this day? You, you got, you're on the wrong side of history. You, you Christians, you know that this week, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, came out with this quote and said, evangelical Christians are the worst part of Canadian culture. Because we hold to what the scriptures say about the definition of marriage, 
because we hold to what the scriptures say about the exclusivity of Jesus, he was saying it under the context of, of bringing a, a, a lot of uh, refugees into Canada. 99% of them are Muslim refugees. And his point when asked, why aren't you letting any Christian refugees into Canada? And he said, Christians are the worst part of Canada. Now, I'm just here to tell you not to pick on Justin Trudeau, but I'm here to tell you that's the future we will face. Don't be freaked out about that. Don't be angry about that. You're not going to even change that. But I want you to know it's coming. You know that when Rome fell, the Christians were blamed. When Jerusalem fell, the Christians were blamed. And so uh, there's, and I'm not trying to pull this whole like martyr syndrome. There is no doubt that all of us together, guys, we can be more loving. We can be more kind. We can be more gracious together. But we live in a world where those that have gone out and heard the message of the gospel are going to come back and say, you're archaic, you're old school, you're irrelevant, you're the worst, you Christians. And here's the question. How are you going to respond? When you, when your son or daughter comes back to you and says, your Christian faith, that's the worst. It's the worst. You're an embarrassment to the world conversation. Well, be unshaken in your commitment to the authority of God's word. Hold your ground in love and grace. It is incumbent upon us to know the word, my friends. And so could I just really encourage you to know the Bible? Would you spend time in it, meditating on it, thinking about it? David said, day and night, I'm going to meditate on God's word. How am I going to have victory over sin in this dark world? How am I going to have victory? David gives us the answer. Your word have I hid in my heart so that I will not sin against you. I have three different apps on my phone that all have the Bible on it. And I could literally choose almost any version of the Bible, including versions in other languages, to have on my phone. I have the Bible closer and more accessible to me, and we together have the Bible more accessible than it's ever been in the history of mankind. Do you know it better than you've ever known it? Is it deepening in your heart? Do you memorize the portions that touch on your area of weakness? If you're afraid that those that have gone out from us are creating this crazy kind of world, do you you memorize scriptures that speak to you about courage? Are you memorizing scriptures that speak peace into your heart, reminding you of God's goodness? This 14-hour update, out of ICU is Kobe for 24 hours, 38 hours now. Kobe is blowing everyone away at his progress. I think the feeding tube has given him a little extra strength. He got up in the wheelchair today. It's not exactly his favorite thing to do, but he did it. It's painful for him. So proud of him. This is from his mom. He also swallowed some liquids off of, uh, off of a spoon. Hopefully Monday he can try to pass the swallow test to graduate to thicker liquids. My friends, this is the goal for the weekend thicker liquids. 
Communicating has been difficult. The words are hard to understand, but they're there. He knows what he wants to say, and that's a miracle. He also has been asking harder questions about the accident. That comes with painful answers. He asked if the car rolled over, and I answered yes. I asked him if he remembered that, and he said yes. I could see the pain in his eyes. As a mom, we don't want our kids to feel pain or be afraid. But God is using this time to mold Kobe. I remember, I reminded him of a verse he had learned before, for I know the plans I have for you. I then asked him if he could remember where in the Bible that was at. And he knew that it was Jeremiah 29, 11. Thankful that Kobe has hidden God's word in his heart. Do you have God's word hidden in your heart? So that when the trouble comes, it's there? I had somebody come in up to me between services and saying, you know what, I had a stroke and I couldn't communicate and and I don't think people understood what I could understand and what I couldn't understand, but this I had. The word of God was in my heart and mind and I reviewed it constantly as I waited for the ability to speak to return. Here, Kobe, he's trying to graduate to thicker liquids, but he can remember that Jeremiah 29, 11 is a promise to him that God knows the plans he has for him. It is so crucial, my friends, that we take what's on our phone and get it off of the phone and into our hearts. That we are spending time and we are so familiar with what the word teaches us. We are so familiar with God's heart for us. We are memorizing and meditating and spending time. Quite frankly, for for all of us to turn the TV off a little bit more or turn the radio off and turn on our time with the Lord. That we can spend in the word reviewing what he has to say to us what he has to say about himself so that when these trying and difficult times come, we're ready. We're ready. I hope that it's no surprise to any of us that in the last hour, every pitch is going to count. And it is going to be crucial that we are regularly confessing, we are saying the same word to the world in our own hearts and to the world around us about who Jesus claimed to be. That we are unshaken in our commitment to the authority of God's word. God's word. Hey, this is going to do two things for you. I really want you to understand, or or excuse me, three things for you. In making your home, in abiding in the scriptures, you're having fellowship with God. That's what the word abiding means. You're staying there and having fellowship with him. You're going to prove the reality of your faith. That's what it says there. In staying in the message of the gospel about who Jesus is, you have fellowship with Jesus and the Father. Okay, so that proves your faith to you. You make the argument that wins the day for the glory of God. So the argument that we together have is not that we engage those that have left us and try to win them over with words and ideas. No place in this passage does it say that person that's gone out from you, you should try to talk to them and win them back. In fact, in a minute, it's going to say the opposite. In the last two verses, you're going to see that it says, don't do that. Okay? So your life, your confidence, your security, your consistency is a message to the world about who Jesus is. 
It is a beautiful thing when you will embrace that truth that it's your life that God wants to put on display. In fact, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that we do have an anointing. We share the anointing that Jesus has. So Jesus was anointed as the, the, uh, the Lord, of course. He was anointed as the Messiah. But as we trust him, we share his anointing, and that is we, we walk with him. We walk uh, as ambassadors of, of Jesus, okay? So you prove the reality of your faith, you make the argument that wins the day for the glory of God, and number three, you guarantee your future home in the Son and the Father. So I am not saying that as you remain in the teaching of the Word, you earn salvation. It's not what we're saying here. We're saying if you're truly alive in Christ you will remain and abide under the teaching of the word. The difference there is it's not a condition, it's a requirement. So a condition says, if you do A, you get B. But a requirement says, because you are under, because you are in Christ, you will continue, you will abide. And guys, let me remind you before we move on to our third point this morning that what you have from God is better than what the world could ever offer. Ultimately, these false prophets are leaving the teaching of the church. They're going their own way because if we remember two weeks ago, we said do not love the world or the things in the world. These Gnostics, teachers, are saying I love the world and the things in the world so much that I'm going to have to change what I believe about Jesus so that I can hold on to my way of life. I can hold on to my partying. I can hold on to my way of thinking. I can hold on to my habit. I can hold on to my pattern of sin. I can hold on to what I love about the world and still make others think that I have Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of these Gnostic teachers. And John is saying, listen, hold on to Jesus. He has the best plan for you. In verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. He gives you the best. That is the best thing. It's the thing you want. It's the thing you long for. One of the pastors I listen to on podcasts uh, at various times through the week is James McDonald. And uh, I've said this now so often that I'm not going to give him credit for it anymore. I'm just going to keep saying it. But one last time, I'm going to tell you, he says it this way, if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. See, God is not holding out some magical, beautiful, happy, he's going to say, oh, you know, the world, they have real fun to offer. All I have is eternal life. You know what? God's plan for your Living in this world is a beautiful, excellent plan. And when he tells you don't do something, he's saying don't hurt yourself. If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. All right? And so don't think that we're here going, well, I can either have a a ho-hum, boring life, holding on to Jesus and getting eternal life, that's the worst, or I can get what I really want, the world. John is saying in this passage, what you really want is the promise that you have in Jesus. And you get that when you get him. You get the promise, and you get the eternal life, and you get the best possible way of living now, and you avoid the trouble and problems of walking in sin. Right? So number three, 
the last hour perspective, not only are we bold about professing or about confessing that Jesus is the Christ, we're unshaken in your commitment to the authority of the word of God. And finally, you're committed to remain in Jesus Christ. You're staying right there. That word abide, you are staying home. You are at home in your fellowship with the Father through the Son. And nothing anybody says is going to shake you from that safe place. You will not be knocked off the goal. All right? Note this, deniers always become deceivers. Do you see in verse 22? Oh, they're just, they're just denying that Jesus is the Christ. But look down at verse 26. Verse 26 says, uh, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And the concept there is these deniers who started off by saying, maybe Jesus isn't the Christ. No, he's not the Christ. They are now coming back at you actively, still present tense. They are constantly, always, over and over again, trying to deceive you. And they're trying to uh, get you to see their way of thinking. Note in this passage, you are not encouraged to engage with them. There's a different group of people that when they come when, and they, they are looking for, you know, always be ready for an answer for the hope within you. That is the real uh, curious person. That is the person that, that's coming to you and saying, no, really, tell me about this. What, what is this, this faith you have that Jesus is the promised one? What is that all about? Okay? But this one who comes and he, right off the bat, he's denying it, saying there's no way he's, he's the son of God. There's no way he's the one we've been waiting for. And now they want to engage with you? This, this passage says don't, don't bother engaging with them. Okay? You can pray for them. You can ask the Lord to have mercy on them. But it's your very life and your continuance in the fellowship of believers that is going to be a testimony to them about who Jesus is and the power of God. Later it says, don't inquire of them anything. Don't let them teach you anything. If somebody that has denied the word of God is coming to teach you something, be careful. Now, I, I, I launch out in this knowing that I'm going to need grace. All right, so I'm going to say it, and then you guys can all laugh, and later on we can have this discussion. But there's this movie that just came out, or was out for a while. It's called The Shack. Okay? If you went and saw The Shack, hope you had fun. I hope it inspired you like Old Yeller inspired you. Okay? Like Sleeping Beauty inspired you. But the author for the, the book, The Shack, is, has left the concept that Jesus is the Christ. He's gone from it. And so what this says here is when somebody has left that, don't let them teach you anything about the Bible, about the Word of God. So don't go looking and say, well, you know, I, yeah, they've left. They don't believe that Jesus is the Christ anymore, but I can still learn something from the poetry. I can still learn. I can still be inspired from them. And again, I'm not angry about the shack. Again, we see books all the time with various levels of, of you know, from, from Tolkien to C.S. Lewis, various levels of these things. But I'm just telling you, don't, don't go to the shack and think that it taught you something about the work or the person of God. That's when it gets dangerous. It didn't teach you anything about God. Okay? Because it's fiction. It's sold in the fiction section. 
The movie's called a fictional movie, okay? So if you went to the movie, great. I hope it inspired you, again, like Old Yeller inspired you. But this passage specifically says to you, once they've left, don't let them teach you anything about God. You can't gain something from them at that point. Be careful. Beware. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those that are trying to deceive you, but the, uh, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And listen, you have no need that anyone, and, and we could read it like this, that anyone who has left and now denies that Jesus is the Christ can teach you anything. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, Just as it has taught you, abide in him. Okay, I think there's a couple reasons he uses this word anointing. Okay, the first is that those uh, Gnostic teachers used the word anointing. They felt anointed. They used the word. And so he was using it as a play on words. Secondly, Jesus, if you look back up at verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? The word the Christ there is Jesus is the anointed one. And so when we enter a relationship with Jesus, we get the Father, and then now he's addressing this concept of anointing, which is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you and lead you in to all things. And what I believe that's talking about is that the whole counsel of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation is going to be taught to you by the ministry of the Spirit. And if somebody has left this concept that Jesus is the Christ, don't let them teach you. Let the Spirit teach you that you've received from God himself. Okay? And so uh, deniers always progress, and they've got to become deceivers to legitimize themselves. This anointing, again, it refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. Guys, uh, it's the last hour. And some of you feel like we're down four games or, or one game to three. And we feel like it's dark out there. But we know for certain, we know for certain the game is won already in Jesus Christ. That does not diminish your role in the last hour In fact, I would say it this way, it heightens the way that God is going to use you and me in the last hour. I'm asking you to consider that as a last hour Christian, you be bold about your confession that Jesus and Jesus alone is the Christ. We are going to just constantly be saying the same thing that Jesus said, same word. We're regularly going to be letting our minds settle on that so we have peace and we feel encouraged and we know that God is, is teaching us and helping us. Be unshaken. Guys, the whole world is going to say things like wrong side of history, archaic words from the, from the scriptures. You still believe that stuff. Be unshaken in your commitment to the authority of God's word. And finally, be committed to this this place. There's not some new place out from under Jesus where you get the good, new, fun, evolved information that's better. Live. Live in your relationship with Jesus. Listen to what he said about who he is. Let that settle into your heart 
and be the very defining thing about who you are. Because my friend, that next pitch is coming. You're up to bat. You may be the one who God uses in some respect to be a contributor in the way the game is won. It's so important that you're ready. It's so important that you're focused on what God's called you to. Play ball. Let's stand and be dismissed in word of prayer. Father, we rejoice in the great word that we have from you. Thank you for the way you're, you're working. And I pray for, especially for those of us who have loved ones who maybe have gone out from this church or another church, maybe an adult child who's gone out from what the teaching of the word of God has been all about. And they seem like they're not confessing Jesus as Christ. We care deeply for them, Lord. Our heart breaks. We long for them to know you. We ask you to do what we cannot do, that you would draw their hearts, that you would teach them, that you would help them return. Father, as we go from this place, I pray for the heart that is timid or afraid today, that you would lift them up with the hope that we have in Jesus. You would remind us that we have a living hope and that Jesus is on his throne. He is unshaken by the, by the arguments of the world around us. He is on his throne. He is to be worshipped. And Lord, we, we pray that we have done well in worshipping him today. May the lessons of this passage come back many times in my own heart this week that I would be transformed by you conforming my mind to your word in grace. May that be true of all of us as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen. Dismissed.